We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. First day with the fans here. How, was it a lot of fun for you? It was cool. It really was cool. It really was. Um, I think one of the things that the, the players talked about was, you know, when somebody made a play, you could hear the fans get get excited about it. And guys come back to the huddle. They got grins on their face and stuff like that. So their energy is part of what helps us. The first day with fans at training camp, and you could hear it in Ron Rivera's voice, players and coaches excited, a great turnout for the second day of camp, the first that allowed fans to attend. Saturday should be a huge turnout with people, uh, most people not working. Um, Typically that first Saturday of camp is the biggest turnout, but it was the most enthusiasm that team has seen for a training camp practice in a while. Now, Remember, 2020 pandemic, 2021, people still kind of reluctant. uh, But uh, a big uh, turnout today with the new bleachers and, according to all, a very good practice and no injuries. Uh, Deron Payne's dealing with a bit of a toe issue. uh, But as of the recording of this podcast, no major injuries. And the reason I mention that is as I am beginning Uh, this uh, podcast a little bit later today than I thought I would. Breaking NFL news. Joe Burrow carted off the field at Bengals training camp today. Uh, It was 11 on 11. He was flushed from the pocket, moved out to the right, and he came up lame holding his calf. Zach Taylor, the head coach of the Bengals, just said moments ago it's a calf issue, but he does not know if it's serious or or not. Have no idea. Maybe by the time you listen to this, you'll know what the injury is and whether or not it is serious or not. But look, Joe Burrow uh, is about, we believe, to sign the biggest contract in the history of the game. Herbert signed that the other day in LA for the Chargers, and Burrow is the last of the quarterbacks getting new deals in this offseason. And his deal is supposed to ultimately end up being the biggest for the position, the biggest for uh, in the history of the NFL. And he was out there practicing. Um, and I don't know how many more practices he was going to be involved in before this deal got done, but he's a guy that just said, no, I'm going to be out there with my team. And, 
you know, my agent, they'll get the deal done, and I'm not worried about getting injured. Well, I promise you this. He ain't going back out there again, even if he's healthy, until that new deal is signed. Uh, but that is a breaking NFL story as I am starting this. God, I hope Joe Burrow's okay. I mean, I love watching Joe Burrow play, um, and that would be really awful for uh, and I'm telling you, you'd never see a big-time player that's on the verge of signing a big-time deal uh, walk out uh, and, and, and practice again. Now, Joe Burrow is under contract, remember, so this is going to be a contract extension. And the new you know, uh, collective bargaining, bargaining agreement, or the last iteration of the CBA, um, allowed teams to not only fine players, but... Uh, did not allow for them to rescind the fining of players if they missed training camp days. So that uh, could get uh, a look-see at some point down the line if Joe Burrow uh, ends up um, you know, being hurt uh, seriously uh, and having it impact the next deal. Uh, let's keep our fingers crossed that Joe Burrow is okay. So there was also another NFL story. This one involving Sean Payton and an interview that he did with USA Today. I'm going to get to that here in a moment, but first I want to tell you that today's show is brought to you by the Circa Million and the Circa Survivor Contests out in Vegas, the two biggest pools slash contests in Las Vegas are the Circa Million and the Circa Survivor. Uh, The Circa Million is pick five teams every week against the spread during the NFL season. If you've got the best record at the end of the year, you win a million bucks. It's $1,000 per entry. There are there's another five million dollars in guaranteed prizes during season long prize opportunities. So the circa million is pick against the spread five games a week, million bucks to the winner, but another five million dollars in guaranteed prizes. The circa survivor pool is your typical NFL survivor pool. You pick uh, a winner each week, no spread. You can only pick the same team once. If you lose or tie that game, you're out. If you keep winning and you're standing at the end, $8 million to the winner of the Circus Survivor Pool. $1,000 per entry on that one uh, as well. $14 million in guaranteed prizes, no rake. So if entries go above the guarantee, all the extra money goes into the prize pool. Entries close September 9th, 2 p.m. You must register in Vegas at a circus sportsbook. Uh, and weekly picks can be made from anywhere via a proxy. I'm going to Vegas end of next week for a couple of days on my way to see Cooley in Wyoming. Uh, I don't know if he's going to meet me there um, or not. Uh, we uh, shall see on that one. But I am going to enter the Circa Million and the Circa Survivor pools. I am. Uh, Circa Million, Circa Survivor, those two contests out in Vegas at the biggest and best sports book and casino in Vegas, the Circa Hotel. Um, Circa, the presenting sponsor of the show Today, a show that will include one guest, Pete Haley uh, from NBC Sports Washington or Monumental, whatever it's called these days, uh, but more importantly from the J.P. Finley podcast. We've had Pete on the show before. Pete will join me uh, next segment. But before we get to that, a few things, uh, the first of which is 
this Sean Payton interview with USA Today. This is the new head coach in Denver, Sean Payton. By the way, remember the guy that said, you know, on that Adam Shine show on XM Sirius a couple of months ago, uh, that one of the Washington bidders had reached out to him uh, to gauge interest in the Washington job. This was before he took the job in Denver. Uh, and at the time, I said it was kind of Bush League that he did that, given that Ron Rivera is the coach uh, in Washington. But Sean Payton destroyed Nathaniel Hackett, the head coach of the Denver Broncos last year, and by the way, currently the offensive coordinator for the New York Football Jets, a Jets team, by the way, that we learned yesterday uh, that their starting quarterback took a $35 million pay cut to help them with flexibility around roster construction, salary cap, etc. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers took a $35 million haircut. How do you think Packers fans felt after reading uh, that one? I love the Jets this year. He's got, you know, Cobb. He's got Lazard. He's got Nathaniel Hackett. Um, it's their offense. You know, there's not going to be any kind of learning curve. It'll be the learning curve for the rest of those players. They have a dominant defense. I love the Jets this year. I really do. But if you're Sean Payton, or if you believe in Sean Payton, maybe you don't want to go anywhere near where Nathaniel Hackett is. He called in this USA Today story. He called Nathaniel Hackett and his staff one of the worst, and the job that they did, one of the, quote, worst coaching jobs in the history of the NFL. He said as follows, quote, it doesn't happen often where an NFL team or an organization gets embarrassed, and that happened here. Part of it was their own fault relative to spending so much bleeping time trying to win the offseason, the PR, the pomp and circumstance, marching people around and all this stuff. We're not doing any of that. The Jets did that this year. You watch hard knocks, all of it. He's not a believer in the Jets. He said, I can see it coming. I remember when Washington's Dan Snyder put the dream team together. I was at the Giants in 2000. I was a young coach. I thought, how are we going to compete with them? Deion Sanders is there now. That team won eight games or whatever. So listen, just put the work in. Closed quote. (laughs) Not a big fan of what Nathaniel Hackett did. By the way, nobody is. Okay, Nathaniel Hackett was a bad head coach. But he's also... In saying that and going public with that, he's kind of taking any of the responsibility off of Russell Wilson's shoulders. Uh, By the way, I was reading through um, the ESPN recap of this story, and you know they have obviously followed much more closely than I the Denver Broncos offseason. And I was going to read this one uh, quote. Uh, or this one paragraph. Peyton has been offered plenty of opportunities to talk about Wilson um, and the Broncos' performance multiple times. The strongest comments he had uh, were that the offense as well as the team's play overall was hard to watch. 
uh, and that Wilson would not be allowed to have a personal quarterback coach or other support staff of his own in the team's complex. Uh, Wilson was walking around, I guess, with all of his own staff. Apparently, he's got quite the entourage when he goes anywhere. Um, But he did say that Wilson has, quote, plenty of gas left in the tank, closed quote, uh, in the USA Today story. But man, Nathaniel Hackett and staff did, quote, one of the worst coaching jobs in the history of the NFL. Um, Close quote. Uh, And then brought up the 2000 Snyder team. Remember in that interview with Adam Shine when he mentioned that the bidders or one of the bidding groups for the commanders had reached out to him. He talked about, you know, the history of Washington and how, you know, it had crumbled under Snyder. You know, he was in New York. Um, he was part of the Parcells staff. Like, he he knows what Washington once was. He's very familiar with what, what, what Washington once was. And it was appealing to him. Remember, in that interview, it was kind of appealing to him. And I would mention, I think what I mentioned to Tommy yesterday is that I think it's probable that it was Josh Harris and that ownership group that reached out to Sean Payton. I mean, they're just, I mean, either that or it was Tillman Fertitta or Steve Apostolopoulos. I mean, it's a one and three shot. I don't think it was Bezos. Um, Anyway, uh, so there was some good news this morning related to the stadium in D.C., All right. They uh, and we will find out at some point, perhaps after the podcast recording, um, if what I believe is going to happen has already happened. And that is that the House votes uh, on this bill um, to allow the RFK Stadium site uh, and the lease associated with it to be amended to allow mixed use development. Um, And what's happened here, and I'll read from the Megan Flynn, Sam Fortier story in the Post this morning, Representative James Comer, and we've heard that name here recently, the Republican chairman of the Congressional Committee that oversees the district, introduced bipartisan legislation that could help D.C. turn the shuttered RFK Stadium site into an attractive new mixed-use development and potentially into a shiny new home for the Washington Commanders. This legislation is set to pave the way for local officials to create meaningful new jobs, add millions in city revenue, and transform the Anacostia River waterfront into a lively destination for all, Comer said in a statement to the Washington Post. Comer's bill comes, as we know, a week after Josh Harris and his group took over the team. And the legislation is a rare moment of bipartisan harmony during a tumultuous year for D.C. in Congress. Led by Comer, a Republican who has clashed with D.C. council members and pushed through legislation seeking to block local D.C. bills The RFK legislation is co-sponsored by Delegate Eleanor Holmes Norton, the district's non-voting representative in Congress. Norton said, quote, the RFK sits on underused federal land in D.C. that could be redeveloped, generating tax revenue 
for D.C. Neither the mayor nor the council chair opposes this bill, which would allow D.C. to put this site to productive use. A vast improvement on the current state of affairs. I look forward to working with Chairman Comer to pass this bill as quickly as possible. So um, there are a couple of things that this bipartisan bill means. Number one, you know, if you go back and follow this story, and I was told this from somebody kind of close to uh, this particular uh, negotiation and relationship between the city and the team, and by the way, Representative Comer, is that a big part of this thing coming together is Comer and Muriel Bowser. Because they came together on the crime bill in D.C. Uh, And from that point forward, it was, you know, a working relationship that allowed them to get to where they have gotten to on this particular bill. Now, it's got to pass in the House, which it's expected to do. And then it's got to pass in the Senate, which most people think it will do as well. But the fact that this is a Republican chairman that is introducing this bill as a bipartisan bill with Eleanor Holmes Norton and Muriel Bowser, um, basically hand-in-hand, is a big deal. Phil Mendelson not opposing this at all. Look, none of this gets done if Dan's still here. I think we all understand that. Um, But this is a big step towards D.C. and the RFK site. Being the new, uh, being the site for the new stadium, five, six, seven years down the road, whatever it would be. Um, now, this bill is not for the city to acquire the land or be given the land. It is for this current lease to be amended and extended, extended way out into the future, probably until the end of the century, and amended to allow for the mixed-use development, because right now the lease does not allow for that. So the RFK site then becomes um, a more attractive lease, allowing for a new stadium with mixed-use development around the site to happen, and the city would then basically as the you know as the group leasing it from the federal government they would turn it over to the team as part of their contribution to the new stadium in DC so that is hurdle number 1 that appears to be on the verge of being cleared hurdle number 2 is then about the cost the cost of mixed-use development, the project, the stadium itself. They don't have to, to acquire the land, okay? They don't have to spend, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars or more on the land, um, but they have to build the stadium. Now, from what I was told, you know, this is a hurdle to clear, but the biggest hurdle of cleaning up this this lease so that it was possible for the city and the team to work together at the RFK site. That's pretty much done. I mean, assuming that the House and Senate pass this, which everybody expects it to do. And then the next hurdle is who pays for what? 
You know, the city is essentially contributing the land. Um, there is There are things like environmental mitigation, infrastructure, land prep remediation, things like that that the city more likely than not would would pick up the cost of. You would have private investment with a lot of that mixed-use development. You know, private investment might be, and we're talking about developers, might end up being close to half the overall cost. Uh, but then you've got the cost of the structure and the stadium itself. You know, and we know from Nashville and Buffalo, there are significant taxpayer contributions to those stadiums. Now, there are other ways to generate the revenue. They can sell bonds that can be paid back over a period of time. Um, you know, in many ways, kind of the structure of what happened with Nats Park, or at least part of that, uh, you know, part of that structure uh, of that deal. Um, but I was told from somebody in the know that D.C. months ago was a distant third to Virginia and Maryland. And now there is basically an equal chance between D.C. and the other two jurisdictions. And it, D.C., has all of the momentum. So we will see. And again, by the time you're listening to this, it's possible um, that there's even an update to the story with respect to the vote. Uh, But really good news on the RFK site. And I would, you know, I would predict right now and lean towards RFK being the eventual site of a new stadium. In the meantime, the Harris Group is, you know, planning on putting a lot of money into FedEx Field because that's five, six years away. You know, maybe not that much, but, you know, it's 2027, 2028. I think at the earliest for the RFK site, they've still got to play at FedEx Field for another four to five you know, maybe longer than that years. And I think one of the things that Josh Harris has promised is that they are going to make FedEx field a more um, appealing uh, for those that decide to go to the games. And hopefully we end up with big crowds uh, to kick off uh, the season. Um, one more thing uh, before we get to Pete Haley, and then I'm going to play for you in the final segment of the show a soundbite from Jacoby Brissett today after practice, after training camp practice, that I thought was interesting for several reasons. But I wanted to share with you um, something. Uh, I had multiple people reach out to me actually late last night and then early this morning about a dinner last night in Georgetown at Cafe Milano, uh, which included the new ownership group or a significant percentage of the new ownership group, including Josh Harris and other, I guess, significant people around town. Maybe Tommy was there. Uh, I'll ask him on the podcast tomorrow. Tommy did not tell me about this dinner. If he was there, he did not tell me. But um, the reason that uh, they reached out to me was just to say the name issue is a very serious issue uh, among the, this new ownership group. They understand how important this is to the majority of their now new customer base. Uh, and that, you know, this will be uh, dug into deeply Um Look, I, I mentioned to you over a month ago that I had a, a, a source or two that had told me that there were some of the limited partners in the Josh Harris group that didn't like the name and wanted it changed. Uh, and so I, I, the naivete of some of you that, 
you know, no, 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 no. They're not going to focus on that. They're going to totally ignore that. You know, winning the whole, they can do more than one thing at a time. Doesn't mean anything's going to happen now because it's not. They can't do anything about it now. Okay. The season is on the verge of beginning. But I would wager, as I said the other day, and I put the odds at like minus 115, minus 120, I'd put them at like minus 175 now in favor of a name and brand change. I would certainly uh, bet on a name change. Uh, They know uh, what time it is uh, as it relates to this issue with most fans, both uh, past and present. And, you know, I think at the very least, this is going to be a major topic. It's something that they will dig uh, deeply into, and there will be a conclusion to this at some point. We've heard enough from Josh Harris in these national interviews with Albert Breer and really the one with Adam Schefter the other day where he said, look, that's not my call. That is the city's call, meaning the fan base's call. Um, But I don't think anything's going to happen related to this anytime soon, even in the form of like, hey, uh, we've heard you and we are going to begin uh, to explore what our options are related to that. I'm not expecting that. I'm expecting stadium improvements, engaging with the fans, football team getting ready to play, those kinds of things uh, for the foreseeable future. But for those of you that, you know, like me, would like to see something happen here, even though, as I've said, I don't think it's an easy fix uh, unless you're going back to Redskins. Um, But Um, I think we will see a name change, uh, and I think it'll happen sometime next year. That's what I think right now. Pete Haley next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This segment of the podcast is brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.com and MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC to secure a first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All of the NFL prop bets are up. They do not have a prop bet at MyBookie on whether or not the name will change. Uh, Other offshore books have odds up on that. My bookie does not have that, but they've got everything else, including all of the week one uh, lines. Washington still minus five and a half, and the total is the lowest 
total on the board at 39 and a half. Go to mybookie.com, mybookie.ag. Use my promo code, KevinDC. If there's something written in the promo code section, erase it and write KevinDC. Uh, my bookie for all of your NFL needs. We've got, uh, hell, we've got the Hall of Fame game, I think, coming up in a week. I think it's a week from tonight. As my, my guest is Pete Haley from NBC Sports Washington and whatever it's called these days. And Pete, of course, more importantly, um, is a big part of J.P. Finley and Mitch's podcast. And that podcast is called these days, sorry, what is it called? I forget. <laughs> It's totally fine. It's the Beltway Football Podcast. That's right. It may not be the best name, and it may not be the name for long, but it's what we had to switch to when we became monumental instead of NBC Sports. So I'm almost as confused as you are. So, yeah, calling it JP's Podcast, our podcast, is just as good as referring it as its real name. Well, I, I should have checked, but I knew recently it changed, and, and I just couldn't come up with the name. So it's the Beltway Football Pod, <laughs> and those guys do a great job. Um Am I right, by the way? Is the Hall of Fame game a week from tonight? Um, you know, I, that's something I should check, so we're even. You don't it know is. the name I of just, my podcast, I, no, I just, and I don't know the date it is. of the Hall of Fame. It is. Um, one, okay, one week from tonight, August 3rd, so Canton, Ohio, we will have football on TV. I'm talking about, like, real football, not the XFL or whatever else has been on. Um, and uh, the Browns are one-and-a-half-point favorites over the Jets, <laughs> who I guarantee you will not be quarterbacked uh, by Aaron Rodgers uh, on that particular night. Um, Pete's always great to have on the show, and it's been a while. We'll ju- I'll just start with, I mean, this is your team, too. You're, you know, you're from here. You're a big fan of the team. So what was last week like for you? It was, it was first of all, unfortunate timing. I was on vacation when uh, the sale became official and then when Josh and all the owners had their big soiree at FedEx Field. And I probably should have come back for that. And JP has given me a lot of crap for not coming back for that. <laughs> but I had, like, family up at the beach that I don't see that often. Regardless, I was able to track and feel the excitement from up there. And I, like, felt real, legit FOMO for not being at FedEx Field, which is an emotion I never thought I would feel. I've been there enough, and I've never thought, oh, I can't wait to come back here. But the energy, uh, how human Josh Harris seemed up there on the the stage, high-fiving people, people chanting his name. And uh, it continued into training camp today when he arrived alongside Mitchell Rails. He's walking around like a freaking mega rock star. And he may not give the best high-fives, but it's, He's giving high fives. <laughs> what, Snyder was, what did was, he do? It, what, what was the high five like? I didn't see it's it. Just, it. You know, it's just he, he had a bunch of fans leaning over a railing, and it's just kind of like when a golfer and his caddy don't really know what to do after a big shot, and they kind of like double clutch at each other. But, uh-huh. like, I appreciate that he's trying because Dan would walk out surrounded by people in suits and polos, whereas Josh is going over and taking pictures. So I just am I'm really thrilled with it. It does feel like... Uh, the fan base was unconscious, and now it's woken up, and I, I think it's going to continue to grow. I thought maybe there was a, a section of people that had been lost forever, but I think that section, if it did exist, is going to start coming back, and uh, this training camp can be a really good starting point for all of that. Didn't Tiger and Stevie have one of those uncomfortable yeah. high fives? I think it was at, it may have been at that, that Open in 2008 the, when he had that putt that forced the 18-hole playoff with, um, I think it was Rocco Mediate. I think it was. Yes. 
that oh. was one. And then also, I just I even think on like the chip at Augusta when it comes right, down, right, right, right. Lip, that's like, the one. They that's kind of stare at each other. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a yeah. bit uncomfortable to watch. But um, yeah. So Josh yeah. kind of had those with some fans, but again, he's smiling. He's he's like pumping people up, and eventually that's going to stop. I'm sure he's going to settle in. But like, I like that he's leaning into it. Understands how desperate these people are just for a regular person to be in charge. And I think the players are really responding to it, which is maybe something I didn't expect, but they're all talking about how Josh is promising to get them everything they need. And they're like legitimately impressed by just the inclusion of the stands, which um, on one end, it's like, wow, we really need some bleachers to get everybody fired up. But on the other end, like, I get it. They, they've noticed how below standard their facility is. And now they have these nice looking stands. It sets up this nice little, like, secluded area and it's loud and it's just it's just how football should be in the nfl and um the guys are really really reacting to it all all right let me ask you because you're younger um and your generation what are you you're in your early 30s 28 28 years old so what is your group of friends that were hardcore fans at one point like you where were they before last week and where are they now so they, I feel like my group are still just old enough to where they like grew up as fans without the fantasy football world and the betting world. So like it was still you choose a team, you buy jerseys for that team. You're not watching like the guys on Instagram. You're not following people who you just like because they're funny on social media. But so so I think they were still kind of holding on. They would go to games almost as like a a, a ironic thing. Like I'm gonna go, I'm gonna get drunk, and I'm gonna be really depressed. But I think the group below us, kind of the like my friends' little brothers, for instance, and and m- people in my family, like my cousins and stuff, they were teetering, and now they're seeing. Oh, okay, you know, their parents are telling them this is the the juice that I felt when I was growing up, and they were able to go to the bullpen together. They were able to watch this press conference together, and like I think they are coming back. So um, there are certainly people my age too who were. Uh, you know, very disillusioned with it all. But I think the the 22-year-olds, 23-year-olds who went to college wearing washing gear, got made fun of, realized they didn't have to follow this team. They could just bet on people or have fantasy. They're now realizing, oh, this is what everyone else feels, a team that they have pride in and that they want to support. And they're going to, I think, be addicted to that feeling very quickly. So if you got two minutes with Josh Harris, what would you tell him? What would, what would be your advice? Oh, that's good because I'm sure he's getting a ton of advice from everyone. Um, I would say, like, I guess this is this is what I would say. I would say, st- like, don't – it's easy right now, right? You can buy people drinks at the bullpen. You can come out to the first day of training camp. And he doesn't need to be doing this kind of stuff all the time. But don't lose sight of it. Don't – and I don't know if he'll feel like this is a victory and he's going to stop caring, of course. But, like, when you say you want to make the stadium a home, even if it's crappy FedEx Field, like – do that every week. When when training camp, it's August 12th and it's hot outside and there's a medium crowd, maybe make a point of coming out or having Mitchell Rails come out, pass out some T-shirts and some towels. Like, don't just think, okay, Dan's gone, I'm here, we're fine, we've hit a couple easy singles to start. Like, I, I want that first game to be a big deal, but also week three, week nine, week 15, continue to keep the pedal down because, you know, there, there are people who still aren't going to believe in it and maybe the season th- doesn't go as well. And some people, you know, start losing interest pretty quickly. But really engage, give out free stuff, make the stadium really fun again, make practice fun. Like, you're off to a good start, but don't just, like, get complacent, I would say.
I don't know if that'd be great, but maybe he would listen and say, hey, that's a decent idea, Peter. Here's uh, 100000 bucks for your time. <laughs> yeah. Um, you didn't mention anything about the name. Would you advise him one way or the other on the name? Yeah, I, I guess I wouldn't use that time to talk about that because it seems like I'm I'm believing that it's going to change just from the very early okay. indications. And I, like, I would say, hey, if you're thinking about this, you should do it. Um, it not not only because it's a bad name on its own, but because it yeah like get rid of every tie to the past. And I like I would be pretty surprised if they went back to Redskins, but I'm not going to be uh, you know I'm not putting a zero percent chance on it. I think maybe they could figure out a way. Like with Dan, when your team is called the Redskins and you have Dan Snyder in charge, it makes it easy to be like, oh, that's an awful horrific name. But if you have all this new momentum, this positive feeling around the franchise, and maybe you can bring it back and, and put a more positive spin on it. We're, we're doing it to honor. Here's a better logo. Maybe, I think the logo is a big part of it. So I wouldn't rule out Redskins, but I do heavily favor name change, and I, I would advise him on that, but I think he already is uh, heading in that direction anyway. Yeah, I haven't spent a lot of time um, talking about the Redskins as an option other than just suggesting that it's not 0% uh, and that I do think that there's a path, especially with Magic Johnson perhaps being influential um, in that process if they wanted to, to go down that path. But I just don't think they will. Um, I think, Pete, the bottom line is they paid $6 billion for this thing. And we both know, and everybody listening knows, that you're going to reinvigorate the, you know, the segment that was very active in, in protesting the name. Uh, whether they had any you know, real data behind them or not, um, they had a dictionary-defined term. Uh, you know, they, had a, they, had a, they had a definition in the dictionary that said they were right. And I don't know if you invite that uh, right off the bat, you know, in your first few years after paying $6 billion, But my God, would I love it if they, if they actually pursued it in a sincere way. And, and by the way, in a very compassionate way, too, because there's some compassion um, that, that is uh, required as well, something that, uh, you know, the last owner didn't have. He didn't have much finesse. He didn't have much compassion. And he wasn't very strategic. Uh, and the combination of all those things and a lot more meant um, that once the opportunity uh, was there, uh, Fred Smith took it, uh, took advantage of it. All right, let's um, let's talk some football. So going into this season right now, when people talk to you because they know you cover this team and you follow this team, and they say, "What kind of team is your team going to have this year?" What do you say? I say, and I've been asked this a couple times recently, I say I really like everything about the team, fans, the offensive line, and I'm kind of questionable about the quarterback, and it's unfortunate because those are the two most crucial things, I think, to winning in the NFL, but I'm very bullish on the receivers. I think the tight ends, losing Armani Rodgers did sting, but as long as there's no other injuries there, I think that can be a very solid group. Uh, the running backs, maybe they need to add a Kareem Hunt. I'm not dying for that. And then on defense, like I think Emmanuel Forbes is going to be the absolute real deal. I think Chase Young, maybe he's not a superstar, but he's going to be—he's going to help, I would believe. And and they have another few just Pro Bowl level players on there. I think under the same coordinator, I don't think there's any reason to expect them to fall off too much. So um, yeah, I think I always say, well, Ron Rivera's won seven, seven, and eight games the past three years. I don't see them backtracking at all. And if you get above average play from Howell. 
and the offensive line is able to maybe be hidden a little bit by the enemy, or the running game's really good, or Wiley and Cosme and Sadiq Charles are better than I think, then I think that's when you start trickling out to the nine, ten wins, and you can be a real surprise team. But, yeah, I, I, I think this is Ron's best team, but the issue is he's still searching for the quarterback answer, and if he finds it in Sam, I think that'll be more of like, a, oh, what a, what a treat this is, as opposed to, you know, we knew what we were doing all along. I think they're just playing Sam because they really have no other option, not that they're you know mega enthralled by him. But I do think there's a lot to like about him. I'll come back to everything you said because I think I agree with almost everything you said. I, But I, I, I had Barry on the radio this morning, Barry's Verluga, and I think I talked mm-hmm. about this yesterday, maybe on the podcast or maybe, maybe on the radio show. I forget now. But, you know, but you know what's interesting is like I think everybody is reasonable enough to say Ron Rivera had you know a shit show that he came into and for the most part if we take the football results and take them out of the conversation he kind of navigated this shit show pretty well I mean you know he's a you know he's a veteran coach he's a good person um, he's respected around the league and. You know, he came into a situation that wasn't the same situation. Every other coach came in with just a terrible owner. This guy came in with a terrible owner and then all hell breaking loose on the investigation front and otherwise. And, oh, by the way, had cancer at the same time. But beyond... And, and COVID and yeah, a bunch of other... Uh, exactly. So, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I, God, I've even for, I, I forgot this morning to even mention the fact that he had to coach and, by the way, run a football organization during COVID. Um, which is a rather big deal. So I, I think it's very reasonable, and some people disagree with me um, because I've heard from some of them. But I don't think I think it's reasonable to give him, you know, credit and and a pretty high grade for that part of the job. I wonder whether or not we like what grade as a pure football coach based on the results right now. What grade would you give him for the three years? It like. This is also a little complicated because it's like, what grade compared to all the people he's, you know, been replaced or he's replacing, you know, the, the predecessors, or what grade overall just as an NFL coach? As an NFL coach I, for the three, okay. the, these three seasons, just football stuff, what grade would you give him? I think he is a very shiny C plus. He's not quite a B minus, but I think he's the best C plus you could ever have. Well, that's see, I think a lot of people would say, well, it's a D, uh, you know, it's lower than that, but I agree <laughs> with you. And I think yeah. one of the th- reasons I brought it up is it's easy to give him credit for kind of managing all the off the field stuff is the face of the franchise with nobody else. That was really the face, even though Jason Wright's tried a couple of times to be the face. The truth is, they went eight, eight, and one last year with Taylor Heineke and Carson Wentz. Um, the year before, they were six and six on a four-game heater, and I—I I shouldn't call it a heater. I mean, they were—they—they they certainly weren't a dynamic offensive football team. But they won four in a row to get right back into playoff contention, and then lots of injuries and COVID hit. And in 2020, they got hot at the end of the year in a terrible division, and they made the postseason, winning the division. I actually think it's a C plus B minus also, but I think most people would say it's much less than that. And we can point to the mismanagement of games and mismanagement of the quarterback situation. Um, And then I would ask you this, what grade would you give him as the personnel head? 
the guy that's been the final say on roster construction for three years. Yeah, that I'd probably tick him down a little bit just because I'm so sway, uh, swayed by the Carson Wentz acquisition, but probably still a C because his first year he found the McKissicks and the Logan Thomases. You know, they found Derek Forrest and guys like that in the draft. Like the team is is more well rounded than it was before he got here. I think it's 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 all of this is like incremental improvement. But yeah, I think Rivera's done a much better job as a coach and as a personnel guy than the than the Gruden Allen pairings. And then before that stuff, it was it was Shanahan and and just disasters left and right. So C plus as a coach, and then a, a you know a slightly faded but still pretty comfortable C as an evaluator. Uh- I think I would give him the C plus B minus as a coach, um, and then I would trend up on the overall general manager job. And and the reason is, okay, their best players are, are players that were acquired prior to Ron's arrival. But the truth is, the roster overall right now, um, with with the additions that he's made, not all of it, and obviously they have. But botch the quarterback situation. One wasn't necessarily their fault in the injury to Ryan Fitzpatrick. We have no idea how that would have worked out. But I would probably give him the B minus, maybe mm-hmm. into into the B range. I mean, we're not nobody's giving him an A here, people. But I, I don't know. I was thinking about this yesterday, and I just thought this guy's far from the worst we've seen, and he's far from the worst in the league. Now, the next question is. What do you think he needs to do to be back in 2024? And it can be quantified with a record uh, as part of your answer, but I want you to kind of describe, you know, your thoughts on what it would take really for Ron to be back in 2024, because the odds don't favor that. Yeah, and I don't favor it either, because while I, like I said, I like this team, but I don't see it really going a great way. I don't see it being an 11-1 season. But for him to come back, I think, number one, they have to get off to a better start. Ron knows it. They're scheduling these joint practices. They always have to go on these four-game semi-heaters because they're 2-6, and six, they're 1-5, and five, and they're drowning yep. before they even get to October. So I think that needs to be a big-time priority. Smush the Cardinals and then try and get some games there so you're not just playing permanent catch-up. And then, yeah, I think it, it has to be... <laughs> Playoffs is tough to say because what if you go 10-7 and seven, then somehow the NFC is really strong. But, like... Ten wins is, I think, got to be his baseline and a competitive playoff game. Not necessarily a play the Buccaneers and like have the scoreboard look okay, but give up 500 yards to Tom Brady. So um, I think, and it also has to do with Sam Howell. Like if Sam Howell shows promise, then that can be a selling point for Ron. That's something a lot of people are pointing out. It's not the first time you'll hear that, but it gives Ron a thing to say like, look, we made improvements, we started fast, and I got this young quarterback who survived in the system that I built with him. I got him an OC he likes. I've had this defense coordinator who's doing well. I've weathered the storm. I'm, I've emerged from the other side. So I think it's a good start, 10 wins, and a promise from Sam Howell, and I think that's a pretty good formula because yeah, I think Josh Harris can look at Ron and find him to be respectful. He's not someone with no track record. He's not a, a goofball like Nathaniel Hackett who's just waiting to have his head lopped off like he's he is respected, like you said. So I think those two could vibe, but it does have to be a pretty nice jump in performance overall, or else it's just going to be too easy to let him go. I love the way you described the playoff game against Tampa. It's the same way I've kind of thought about it. I know everybody thinks, you know, Washington, first of all, they did not play Tampa tougher than anybody else did that year. New Orleans did. That game was closer, as was 
the NFC Championship game against Green Bay. Um, but um, they gave up well over 500 yards, and Chris Godwin dropped like five passes. That would have added probably another 75 <laughs> yards of offense. I think, honestly, I think if Godwin hadn't dropped the balls, they would have been near maybe playoff record territory in terms of yards uh, in a game. Um, yes, they lost by, it was eight, right? It was 31-23. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and they had a chance maybe with the ball down one score at one point, but my God, were they... As great as the defense was last year, as good as we thought it might be in 2021, as good as it was down the stretch in 2020 against all those backup quarterbacks, uh, Tom Brady absolutely shredded them. And Leonard Fournette also, let's not forget if, if I recall, ran through them like a, uh, a knife through, through warm butter. So, And I guess that kind of speaks to like another somewhat quantifiable but somewhat not thing for Ron and his team to strive for is like when you play the class of the nfl don't have it be so obvious that you're not at that level like i i think a lot about the bills game at week three a couple years ago when they went up to buffalo um they had lost to the chargers but then they got their footing right on thursday night against the giants they had extra days to prepare ron called it a measuring stick and then they just got destroyed and it was like if this is the measuring stick then you have miles to go like the Eagles game last year, you can't lose 24 to 8 at home and give up eight, eight to nine sacks, whatever that number was, and be just wholly embarrassed. Like I think that's another thing for Ron. Like going to the Niners, 37 to 20. I know that game was a little bit closer than that score indicates, kind of the opposite of the Bucks, but still, like when you play the top teams in the NFL, and Josh Harris understands, like okay, I know that the Cowboys and the Eagles and the Bills are on the schedule and they're great. Let's see how my team stacks up. He shouldn't be leaving the stadium like with a like sneering, like, oh, okay, we have a long way to go. He needs to be able to see, like, okay, we're undermanned. We need a little help on the offensive line. But Ron has his team competing with the really good squad. Yeah, I was just trying to think as um as you said that, like, what are his best wins? To me, the Pittsburgh win in 2020 when they were undefeated, when they played that game on like a Tuesday afternoon during COVID. That was actually one of the better wins the franchise had had in a long time in terms of marquee wins. I don't know if anything yep. comes close to that. I, oh, maybe the Philadelphia. Well, speaking of that, Mon- yeah. Monday night football last year, undefeated team, uh, they beat the Eagles. It's probably those two games. And then I think the 2021 post-bye week. Tampa. When they just. Yet they just choked out Tampa with that really long rushing drive at the end. I think those those are that's one a year. Like those are really good statement wins. But like I'm looking at the 2021 schedule, then you also lost to Denver when Denver had no quarterback to speak of. You what you lost to Dallas Philly, Dallas Philly four times in a row back to back to back to back. Like there are the statement wins, but then there are still the flops, and every team has that. I know uh, the the Chiefs lost to the Colts last year. I made a lot of money on that game betting on the Colts, but. You know, he needs to match and, and get a couple more of the, like, exclamation points as opposed to having one when everything's going the team's way and then fading away at the end like he tends to do. Yeah, I had the Colts actually on the money line that day uh, as well. Um, that line was way too short. <laughs> uh, but but, but, the Cle- <laughs> but I, I'd say the Cleveland game last year is yeah. the signature loss because not only did it come with the quarterback change and – the absolute thud uh, across the board and probably the first bad defensive game they had had in months 
Um, it came with the press conference where Ron wasn't entirely sure what the playoff ramifications were. Mm. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I guess we'll have time, you know, probably at the sometime in mid to late January to reminisce over Ron's big wins and losses because that is the odds-on favorite. So, where are you on Sam Howell? I am growing more and more appreciative of Sam Howell's intangibles and the way he seems to be very serious, um, the way he talks about how he studies the offense and goes home and and practices the play calls and how they had him mic'd up in minicamp and he listens back to it. I also liked when Standig asked him yesterday, would you be into doing the Netflix quarterback show? And he's thought about it. He's like, no, not really. Like right. I have enough on my plate. I don't want distractions. I think a lot of second-year quarterbacks would step into that and say, yeah, that'd be awesome. My buddies could watch me. You could see my house. Like we show my dog. Like, no, Sam shot that down. And, and I don't even think or know if Netflix would ever ask him, but I liked that. And I thought that was a good little insight into how he is as a person. So love the maturity and how he's approaching it. And now it comes down to the consistency. I think we definitely see the ups at practice. I think uh, Jacoby Brissett can't match Sam Howell's best at all. But if Jacoby Brissett, and I don't think there's a competition right now either, but if it comes to a point where uh, Sam Howell's downs are so often and it's just hamstringing this team, then sure, maybe you go with the steadier Brissett. But I like that Howell is mobile. I like that his arm is really strong. I like that he seems to be willing to take some of the chances that past quarterbacks haven't really wanted to take or, or have been unable to take, speaking of Heineke. So I think this is a, a really, you know, you got Harrison, you got Ruta Snyder, and I know fans, when the games begin, will be all in and, and hate uh, this team if they lose week one. But I think this is a very nice season for the quarterback like you figure it out if it doesn't work okay now the owner and the new head coach gets to pick it but this is a, a if it works out then holy crap this great year is now becoming like an all-time one because we found our quarterback and we got rid of the disgusting owner um do you give uh you gave a, a you know a chance for the old name to come back what kind of percent chance do you give that Sam Howell doesn't make it through the next month and a half and that Jacoby Brissett ends up starting the opener? I, I, as long as it's they're healthy, I'd give it maybe a, a 5% chance. Like It's early on in camp, so maybe Sam would could go on to have a really bad week and the players start hanging their heads and, he, and McLaurin starts moping and, and you start just hearing reports about how the defense is eating him alive and maybe I would have to change it. But I just don't think Brissett makes enough plays like it feels like having the enemy and having all these receivers and running backs and tight ends and then putting Brissett in it's just kind of like a womp womp like how yeah he's going to make mistakes he's going to throw some interceptions but I think he at least gives a little more electricity to an offense that without considering the quarterback looks to be pretty electric so I think it makes sense long term and I also think it gives them the best chance to be a, a somewhat explosive offense to have him. So 10% for Brissett, but I'd be, you know, 10% tells you I'd be pretty floored if he is somehow starting in week one. What are your expectations for Chase Young this year? I think that Chase, I really, after 2020, was just like, wow, what a, what a guy, so charismatic. Up, running up, like I remember in that Steelers game after Cam Sims make, makes a catch, Chase Young sprinting down the sideline to go pick him up. He's just maybe not getting sacks every week, but he's reading the read options with Jalen Hurts and popping, and he's picking up fumbles. He's crushing 
Joe Burrow at the goal line. Like, he always made his presence felt. I was like, yep, they have found their cornerstone. And I've just been, like, disappointed clearly since. Not getting any action uh, near the quarterback in that first season afterwards until he tore his ACL and, and not showing up for OTAs repeatedly, even if he is working out with guys, whatever. Uh, but I still have pretty good expectations. I think um, this is a definitely gut check time. He's been a just football superstar his whole life. Everyone's told him how amazing he is. Well, now you have to go prove yourself. I like that he's working with Larry Johnson, his Ohio State coach, uh, the defensive line coach there. He is regarded as just a guru. Chase called him that today. Um, I think Chase doing that and uh, feeling really good about his knee, not having a brace, like I think that's all really promising. And it's, it's convenient for him that he plays alongside just three other monsters. So I think he can get 10 sacks. I don't know if I expect a, a crazy defensive player of the year type campaign, but anything short of 10 sacks, I'd be pretty disappointed. I think, though, he will come through and at least make this team have to decide whether it's worth resigning him or not. And if he goes on the market, I think he'll get a pretty big deal. Like I, I think it's going to be a good to really good season for Chase. What will we all be saying at the end of this year about Eric Bieniemy? Oh, I think this is really a tough one. I think we'll be saying, okay, he got out of the Kansas City cocoon and he made it work. Like, I think it's going to be, okay, it's time to give him a head coaching job. I don't know if it's going to be here with Ron leaving if they they then promote EB from inside or try and do something. But I think he's going to do enough. I think the offense will function well enough where he'll now be ready to go elsewhere. I would be, I think I rank the outcomes as he is a head coach elsewhere as the top most likely. He's the head coach here as the second most likely. He remains offensive coordinator as not that likely, and like he somehow gets demoted as not going to happen. So um, I, I think it's not going to be, oh, my God, he, he he's a genius, but this is kind of lame. I feel like I'm sitting in the middle of a lot of these questions. But I think he'll do fine slash quite well and go on to greener pastures and be a head coach. And then it's up to him to kind of figure out how to run a whole team. But I like the way he's stressing details. I like his energy. I think he is a major change of pace for Scott Turner, and I think that's what this offense could really use. Uh, that sounds like a really good Twitter poll um, question, and I, I can only – I would predict that the the largest percentage would be your first two choices, head coach yeah. elsewhere or head coach here. Um, I'm actually kind of surprised at how – optimistic everybody seems to be about Eric Bieniemy. I'm I'm hopeful just like I'm hopeful about Sam Howell, but I have no idea. The only thing I know is that nobody wanted him except for this team. I'm not even sure I think Andy Reid would have brought him back um, because mm-hmm. he wouldn't have let him twist in the wind unemployed, but it was either here with a quarterback with quarterback uncertainty and head coach uncertainty, or it was back to KC where Matt Nagy was going to take over as the OC. Uh, that to me just Pete speaks of yeah. beware. Um, but maybe he just needed a place to spread his wings outside of Andy Reid and Matt Nagy and Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. Unfortunately, he doesn't have the lat- the last two here. Nothing resembling uh, Mahomes and Kelsey here. But uh, I think everybody would answer it in the order that you gave it. And I'd probably say the third or fourth choice. Um, but, okay. but we'll yeah. see. Um, no, I hear you. And I, I, I totally understand that. And, yeah, it is, it is funky. Like, when he was introduced and he was 
up at that podium with the commander's lapel and color tie, I was thinking, like, this team never has a coup like this. Like, why did why did they land this guy who apparently is really well regarded? And sure, since then you you kind of look at as the dust settles, you're like, wow, this this maybe doesn't add up. But I do like how he is on the field. I do like how hard he's coaching these guys, and I think his 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 energy is very much needed on a coaching staff that with Ron, who has been very quiet, and with Jack, who is actually pretty muted on the field. So maybe I'm just getting a little caught up in just how different he yeah, is none, and different with this team is a good thing. He's definitely mostly. different, and it's very possible that you know his style just has a shelf life to it, no matter where he is and no matter yeah. how successful True. the team is. And he needed a new place, and they needed him to have a new place, and it'll work out. Um, yeah, like a Tom Thibodeau or something. Like He goes yeah. to the team for right. three years is a hard ass and everybody grows to hate him. But for those three years, he makes you better. Right. Exactly. Um, all right. Last one. So what are your, what's your guess? What kind of season do they have? I, you know, you've already, it's, you know, the O-line and the quarterback, we understand that the defense, I think we're all confident, you know, has a really good chance to be very good again. How does it end uh, at the end of 2023? I will say, I think Sam Howell, goes beyond what people or at least national folks are expecting i think the o-line comes back to bite this team um but i do think they will be better than last year i think this will be ron's best season but it's going to be a a, of the nine and eight variety he's going to continue to inch forward but i think it'll be too short in terms of him coming back i think the enemy with a nine and eight season in washington is able to go elsewhere and then i think how Maybe it's like, okay, we have him as security blanket, but we can still draft a guy in the first round. And I think Harris and the new ownership group looks to make a splash head coaching-wise and quarterback-wise this year. So I think it'll be a, a pleasant season. The backdrop of the ownership change will, will be you know, the thing you can remind yourself no matter what happens every Sunday. I think guys like Forbes, uh, Cam Curl, uh, players like that will continue to, to grow their national name. And, and be really good building blocks. But at the end, they'll be looking for a head coach and looking for still an upgraded quarterback, even though they feel pretty decent about Sam Howell. Great job. Uh, hope you're doing well. Uh, Beltway Football Pod with JP and Mitch at Pete Haley, uh, NBCS. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, we'll probably catch up soon down the road. Would love to, and thanks for having me on as always. Good job by Pete. Uh, When we come back, you're going to hear something that Jacoby Brissett said today about competing with Sam Howell while also mentoring him. We'll get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. 
Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This final segment of the show is brought to you by Window Nation. Man, it is brutally hot out there today, and it's going to be that way for the next few days. We are in the midst of one of those D.C. heat waves in late July, and that heat and humidity, those temperatures are forcing your air conditioning into overdrive, leading to sky-high energy bills. The solution, new windows from my friend's at Window Nation. Save thousands today with no money down, no payments, and no interest for two full years. If that air keeps running, you know you are paying for it, and new windows could be the solution. If your windows are 10 years of age or older, if they're sticky, if they're drafty, if they're cracked, if they're hard to open or hard to lock when you close them, You need new windows, and right now you get two free windows with every two you buy, which means you're paying half price. Protect and increase the value of your home today. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go online at windownation.com. Mention my name. You'll get a free estimate, a free estimate that you can do with whatever you choose. You can shop it. I don't think you'll find a better deal. I know you won't find a better product or a better company to work with. 86690Nation, windownation.com. No money down, no payments, no interest for two years. Buy two, get two free on any style from Window Nation and with no limit. You need 12 windows, you're only going to pay for six of them, and you're not going to start paying until the year 2025. Save thousands on your new windows and your energy bills right now all the while upgrading the look and feel of your home. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. So uh, among the players that spoke today, Jahan Dotson, Chase Young, uh, and Jacoby Brissett spoke today. And I listened to his six-and-a-half to seven-minute press conference today. And the very final question is the one I want to play for you uh, along with his answer. As you kind of go between helping Sam along and then competing for the QB1 job yourself, who helped you when you were at Sam's spot and what do you take from what you learned when you were in his role to maybe try and help somebody else along the way? Uh, who helped me? I would say like I think I've been, I've been very fortunate to be in a lot of good QB rooms to where you know, in every room, we always helped each other. Uh, we always kind of competed against each other. Competed against each other. My rookie year, I'm in a, a room with you know the, the greatest quarterback of all time, and Tom, and then Jimmy. Um, you know, th- that already like sparked like, listen, you got to come out here and compete uh, in everything that you do uh, because not that that only not only does that make you better, it makes 
the team better, you know. So uh, I just think taking that from my rookie year to to get me to where I am today is just that's been like a, a foundational thing that I've stood upon. Um, so I think that's all the advice I can give them is just go out there, compete, try to do your best, and you know, like I want the job just as much as he does. So I'm, but at the same time, I want to help him as much as I can, and I want him to help me as much as he can, because at the end of the day, it helps the team. And then, you know, and you kind of, you know, sacrifice the result for the process and, and just lay your, head at, lay your head down at night and knowing that you put your best foot forward. So I wanted to play that answer because I wanted to hear Jacoby Brissett talk about his position on this roster. You know, would he say, look, I'm competing for the job, or would he say, I'm here to mentor Sam Howell or something in between. I think we got something in between. The question was presented in a way that assumed that Jacoby Brissett uh, is here at $8 bucks a year to mentor Sam Howell because he, he was asked by the person that asked the question um, to talk about the mentors he's had in his career and the takeaways from those relationships and how they would help him with a young quarterback like Sam Howell. Um, when he said, uh, I want the job as much as he does, but at the same time, I want to help him as much as I can, and I want him to help me as much as he can because at the end of the day, it helps the team. You know, I think we got somewhere in the middle. Like, I think Jacoby Brissett is just a team guy through and through. I think that's one of the reasons he's here because – you know, he will compete and he's good enough to help you if Sam Howell doesn't work out. But if he's not the starter, that quarterback room is going to be fine. And yet, I think of Jacoby Brissett as having an opportunity. And, you know, there are several guys that would be cutthroat in this particular circumstance. But I guess that kind of personality wouldn't have been signed by the team to begin with. You know, they they wanted and they labeled Sam Howell number one, and they wanted to bring in a guy that was capable but also wasn't going to fall out of uh, out of line um, if uh, Sam Howell turns out to be the guy and is going to help. You know, it's interesting when he talked about the quarterback rooms that he's been in. Man, has he been in some quarterback rooms. All right, he started his career with Tom Brady and Jimmy Garoppolo during the Deflategate season. He started two games in 2016. Garoppolo started the first two games and then got hurt, and Brissett came in and started for the Patriots in the next two games. They beat Indy, they lost to Buffalo, and then Brady came back. Oh, by the way, they won the Super Bowl that year. That was the year they beat the Falcons after they were down by 25 at 28-3. Jacoby Brissett has a ring. Then he was in a quarterback room with Andrew Luck. Then he was in a quarterback room with Phillip Rivers. He's also been in a quarterback room with Tua and last year with Deshaun Watson. He's got a lot of experience. He's been in a lot of quarterback rooms. I mean, he is the senior guy in this quarterback room. You know, he the year that, that Luck retired abruptly, he started that year. And let me look it up, actually. I forget who was in that quarterback room with him. Brian Hoyer was. And Hoyer was a veteran quarterback. But Brissett was given the starting job. 
that year. And then last year, remember, even though Deshaun Watson was on the roster, he couldn't play because he was suspended. But, man, he's been on some teams with some heavyweight quarterbacks. What is he thinking about this quarterback room with Sam Howell and Jake Fromm? And, by the way, the perceived backup. And then, you know, when you see a guy like Geno Smith later in his career catch fire, end up signing a big deal, and he's now the guy on a team that's got a chance to be pretty damn good this year. They went to the playoffs last year with Geno Smith. Now, I went and looked this up. Jacoby Brissett started a lot more games Um, and more recently he had started games before Geno Smith got the opportunity last year in Seattle. There was a one, two, three, four, five, six-year period uh, after the first two years with the Jets where Geno Smith started two games. And then he started a few games at the end of Russell Wilson's final season in Seattle. So Geno Smith, there was like this long period of time where we didn't have – and nobody really had a body of work, a recent body of work, a, a recent resume for Geno Smith. And then he comes out of the woodwork last year. He throws 30 touchdowns to 11 picks, 4,282 yards, completes nearly 70% of his passes, and Seattle goes to the postseason. And he gets a big deal, and you know they are one of the favorites to be a playoff team this year. And he did it at the age that Jacoby Brissett is now, a year older. Uh, He was 32 last year, and Brissett, I think, is 31. But you wonder, like a guy like Jacoby Brissett, now maybe if he was a cutthroat competitor, Washington wouldn't have brought him in. But this is, he's coming off, you could debate, the best year of his career. He had the 13th best overall PFF grade of every starting quarterback in the league. You know, he started 11 games last year with Cleveland, uh, 12 touchdowns, 6 interceptions, 2,608 yards. Um, But that team didn't go 4-7 and with him as the starter because of him. They were giving up big numbers on defense. They lost a game in Week 2. All right, to the Jets, in which Brissett uh, threw for, uh, you know, uh, was 22 of 27 for 229 yards, and they had a 30 to 17 lead with two minutes to go. And Flacco got hot, and they recovered an onside kick, and they lost a game inexplicably 31 to 30. They lost a game in which they gave up 30 to the Chargers, 30 to 28 in Cleveland. And like week five or six, Brissett was was uh, really good in that game as well. Now, he had a run game in Cleveland. Don't get me wrong. That defense gave up 38 to the Patriots, 39 to the Dolphins, 31 to the Bills. I mean, he played well enough, and the offense played well enough for them to have had a better record had they been better defensively. But, you know, does, I wanted to hear whether or not a guy is viewing this as an opportunity at 31 years old with maybe the be- one of the better supporting casts he's ever had versus a guy that's okay with being the mentor and the backup. I don't know what I heard. I think I heard something in between. Um, 
but he's been around. You know, he's been around for a while. On the roster, by the way, there are only three players on offense and five players overall with more experience than him. On offense, Leno, Logan Thomas, and Cornelius Lucas uh, are all older than Brissett. Tyler Larson has the same number of years in the league. I always liked Jacoby Brissett. I did. I loved him coming out of NC State. I thought he just looked like a pro quarterback at NC State. Uh, he was big. He was. He could make every throw. He was mobile. I think his mobility is actually a little bit underrated. Now, it's not Sam Howell mobility. Uh, I understand that. Um, but anyway, I just this first time we've heard from Jacoby Brissett on a question like that, I don't know, maybe he said something uh, back in the spring when they signed him. All right, that is it for the show today. Back tomorrow with Tommy.